Hey everybody, this is What Next, an honest conversation with the Book of Acts. Tonight is the final conversation Ben and I have in this series. We don't talk about any specific chapters, but kind of talk about our experience as a whole and things we wish we could have spent more time on. Thanks for joining us on this journey, Um, and let's just jump right in. Uh, well, welcome back. We are so glad that you're here for our last night. Kind of hard to think that it's been seven weeks of being together um, for this series uh, Book of Acts. We're so glad that you're here and that you stuck it out and you're with us here for the last night. So tonight's uh, conversation is going to be just slightly different than normal. By this point, you've probably um, read the entirety of Acts. We hope that you've read it cover to cover. That's just something that we um, encouraged and something that we did along the way. Um, and then if you kind of followed the, the guide of the lesson plan, we said go back and read chapter 1 and 2. Um, I don't know if you remember at the first night that we talked about this, um, I mentioned that a professor of mine once gave me rules for reading scripture, and he essentially listed like 14 rules, and I can't remember what all of them are. But the last one was always to reread scripture, um, to not think that once you've read it, um, that it's just kind of like a novel that you put on the shelf and you never read it again. It's the type of thing that you read and you reread and you reread. Um, and we hope that this, um, if you've read Acts before, that at the very least, this this was illuminating in a different way. And we trust that if you read it again, it will continue to reveal new things about God, new things about um, your relationship with God, new things about one another. Um, great. So tonight's gonna, conversation is going to be slightly different than normal. Uh, Adam and I are going to talk for about the first maybe 30 minutes or so. Um, we're recording it right now so that we can post it online uh, and share it with others who watch later on in the week. But we're going to talk about some big themes of the entire text, um, some things that we really loved about the text this time around, some things we thought were surprising, maybe some things we wish we could have talked a little bit more about. We're going to answer the question or attempt to answer the question of what next um, as best as we can, since that, after all, is um, what everyone has been <laughs> waiting for. Uh, <laughs> really. uh, and then we're going to talk about some some of this process of reading script together, what it means to bring in someone like Willie Jennings into the conversation, how important that is. And then we want to punt to you all. Um, I'm going to stop recording at the halfway point when Adam and I stop uh, talking um, uh when Adam and I start having a conversation, and we're going to stop recording. So if you want to chime in, you can without fear of this being on a podcast or this being on a, um, a recorded thing. Uh, the way that works is that I pretty much have the ability to allow anyone to talk, talk which is an awkward thing to say out loud. <laughs> but I have the ability to click on people's names. And so if you want to just send a note saying, hey, would love to just share something, we're going to allow you to do that. Um, and we'll allow you to share. And I think it allows your video screen to pop up. Um, act like it does, just in case it actually does. Uh, and then we'll allow you to chime in. We'd love to hear back from you. We'll pitch you some questions, uh, perhaps. Or if you just want to share general thoughts, um, then we should be uh, we should be good to go. So that's the agenda for tonight. Adam, why don't you kick us off with prayer, if that'd be okay. Great. Awesome. Uh, dear God, We are clumsy dancers. Teach us to follow your steps. Amen. Amen. Adam, uh, 
let's talk about it. So, um, so yeah. let's start with like, you've read, you've read this how many times now? I think this is my eighth time eighth to read time. it. Do reading Acts or reading uh, Jennings alongside of Acts? No, just reading Acts. Reading Acts. This is my first time to read all of Jennings' text. Yeah, all the way next through. Next to all of Acts. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what are, like, tell me, like, what are, let's talk a little bit about some major themes, like some overarching themes. There's so many things to talk about, but like what for you um, in this time of reading it uh, was either new or surprising um, or maybe even different from the last time? Yeah, this time... I picked up on a lot of things that I haven't previously been attentive to. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like a very different book this time around. Mm -hmm. I think previously I've really focused on the kind of economic redistribution, political implication kind of side of things. things in common. They shared all things in common, kind of building off of that X2 piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, but this time it, one thing that really struck me was the kind of, um, Jennings has this phrase that he used to say in class all the time, mm -hmm. um, death and its agents and, um, how like death and violence can seduce us to become its agents mm -hmm. by promising us that it can build a safe world for us. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and so reading it this time, I was more attentive to how death and its agents are kind of like hunting down the disciples the whole time. Yeah. And it really feels like, they're trying to outpace the agents of death and violence and, and incarceration. Yeah. Um, and I had never been attentive enough to really like how arduous of a journey that is for yeah. the disciples. Right. Um, and then the other side of that related is, is kind of how prominent the kind of incarceration piece is, how prominent prisons are and prison guards and um, kind of formal state disciplining. And punishment yeah. yeah and how the spirit engages with those spaces like the the architecture of, of mm. incarceration mm -hmm. and that like the prison guards aren't the ones who open the gates to the prison right like it's the holy right. spirit over and over again either like shaking the foundations of the prison or sending angels to open prison doors or um and that was really striking to me this time yeah yeah it's what about you i mean that definitely stands out you know i've always read so just in a, in a moment of just we're gonna have an honest conversation um yeah like i've always considered the second half of acts to be a bit of a um redundant kind of laborious journey it's just kind of paul talking about like where he goes and like and then i went here and i had to say this and then i went here and i had to say this and and if you read them all um if you read it all it's like paul saying just the same thing over and over and over again and not really changing his message at all you it is kind of yes. redundant but you see him climbing through or kind of wading through this journey of of going through these agents of death and going through these different powers and confronting these different powers yeah. The language that he uses. Um, and I, I just think that like, for me, the, one of the big things that, that spoke out, that spoke to me this time uh, around, I've only read Acts. Um, I think I said this at the beginning, I've only read Acts like kind of a couple times before, uh, like cover to cover. I mean, we preach from it all the time. We use it all the time, but rarely do I read books of the Bible um, just like cover to cover. Right. Right. Um, so 
so reading it through this time around, the, like the power of language, I think was really important. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that we talked about at the beginning was the, that, that passage, and I can't remember the exact verse it is, um, but how can we keep from speaking? Like how, how can we keep from, like, from speaking of what we've seen and what we've witnessed and that role of what it means to be an apostle, to speak and to testify. And then for us as, as modern day disciples of just like followers of Jesus, what type of language we used. And I think that it was, you see kind of hints of the importance of language throughout this acts, throughout the book, because you see it in from, from, from Pentecost, right. And the moment of, yeah. of like, they spoke in others tongues. Right. Um, so it was this fascinating, the importance of the intimacy of language of going out and speaking someone else's language and getting into their world in a way that the spirit the spirit must be present in order to do that all the way to speaking to power. The spirit must be present in doing that. Um, the disarming nature of their language, which ironically bring draws arms upon them, right. As a result of that, yeah. but testimony, the power of testimony um, in all of this um, speaking to what we've seen and, and that being the medium, like really of the spirit in a lot of this, um yes the spirit empowers people to do things but the spirit captures the words and breath of the moment and speaks through them in a way yeah. that, like um that's something that just as a as a preacher who does this like professionally that just speaks to me in a way that like most other things i think in the text uh are, are great but for me that's just the thing that ding 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 i mean it's kind yeah. of like setting off bells and whistles and sirens all in my head um this whole text i think so yeah i i yeah that i mean that strikes me as like very true especially the testimony thing mm-hmm. i don't think i had realized that like basically every time the disciples talk it's testimony right yeah you know they're like bearing witness through testimony right. the whole time yeah and that was yeah that struck me about how different my language has been disciplined in the faith you know and like what we see here happening. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, and if you think about it, just to- it totally makes sense in the context of who God is as and how we were made in the image of God as the Barbara Brown Taylor quote, the speech creatures. We are the, we are, God speaks us into being. That's how God speaks a world into, ex- I mean, that's how God creates is through speaking um, and through language. And we are uh, made the image of God, that at least Barbara Brown Taylor claims this, through our gift of speech, through the ability to speak worlds into existence, um, to speak life into others. And quite frankly, we have the ability to destroy worlds and to wreak havoc with our words as we do speaking life. And I think we see that in the world around us. I mean, nobody would, few people would question that. The whole sticks and stones, uh, may break my bones, words never hurt me, is complete garbage. And uh, I mean, uh, words can destroy worlds. Um, Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I mean. And have in the history of the church. Have in the history, 100% the history of church. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, we have marginalized people as a church. We have cut people off from the church. We've excluded people just by even, we don't even have to bluntly say you're excluded. Uh, It's just in the subtlety of the language of the. um, Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think that Christ throughout his ministry and the apostles as 
fully human, fully clumsy, fully kind of um, trying to figure this out uh, embrace is that ability to welcome others into that, into the world um, through their speech, whether it be like the, like the eunuch um, when they chase down the eunuch and it's like, Hey, do you know what you're reading that way in which like, it's almost just the invitational conversation to Paul at the end, giving testimony to Agrippa and Agrippa just being like, are you, are you trying to convert me? Like, <laughs> being like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not just trying to convert you. I'm trying to convert everyone um, that hears my words right now to invite you into what um, the power of like life in Christ looks like and feels like and is yeah. the transformation of it. Um, and that's all through just simple conversations. So I think about the other, yeah, go ahead. yeah, the other aspect of that that I just want to point to really quickly is that they're not making a logical defense yeah, right. of it, yeah. right? right? They're just bearing witness to a reality mm-hmm. that like we worship one who's overcome death. Right. Um, and the kind of like weak positioning of that, the yeah. foolish positioning of that, yeah, totally. uh, that's also like really strong, you know, like uh, that really struck me that just yeah. like, no, like you're, you're wrong. This isn't the ultimate power. This isn't yeah. what sustains life. Like right. we know the one who does. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah, just that, that was really striking. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when, when, um, at the end, particularly with like, is Ananias and, and, uh, Paul, her going at one another in the courtroom to kind of appeal to the, the emperor, um, and Ananias comes in and kind of flatter in with all this flattery language and kind of makes this argument. Terulius, yeah. Right, yeah, right. And, oh, right, Terulius, yep. Um, and kind of makes this like flattery language and everything. And, uh, and Paul's response is essentially like, I'm not even going to like try to argue you on the, on the basis of like logic, right? And on the basis of the world that you speak of, like how you use language. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in an entirely different way that's equally as powerful. And the reason that there's power in it is because the spirits at work in it. Um, yeah. I think, yeah. So that's the thing to me. Um, I just thought it was awesome. Yeah. I just think it's a theme throughout. And I, I could spend all day talking about the, the power of language and acts. Um, you know, yeah. um, I just think it's, it's, it's good stuff. So what else? So I mean, what else kind of bouncing off of that. Like what, what do you think you would have spent more time on if we had more time? Ooh. Um, so language I, you already mentioned to language you know i think um the language uh the thing that i love um the thing that i love a lot in just the life in christ in the life of the people of faith is this idea of improvisation mm-hmm. uh, and we just get, didn't get to dive into that yeah. that much um i mean we talked about kind of the very beginning and we, we were you know there's a million topics to cover in acts we, we were going to hit all of them and so i think we touched on it very briefly but like improvisation in the spirit is a pretty powerful um idea and just the idea that we uh we kind of what what worship is in a way is rehearsal for the rest of the week i mean it's it's a it's a rehearsal and then the rest of the week is improvisation um, and even worship is improv, right? I mean, uh, you oh, know, yeah. obviously there's improv- improvisational uh, elements of, of the worship experience, but um, 
the way that we face God, we praise God, we are in community with one another, we share with one another in joy and in sorrow in moments of worship. And I mean, all of these elements, I mean, we're kind of, kind of feel like touching a nerve right now because we're not able to do this together in person. But the way that we break bread together in person, the way that we like are able to pass the peace in a way um, is, is sustaining and life-giving. And we do that for the worship of God, yes, we also do that so that our lives become worshipful and our lives <laughs> model themselves after worship. And so, uh, so we're improvising throughout the week based on what we do and practice as a community um, in worship together. So I wish we could have talked a little bit more about improv. I mean, that would be the thing that I'd love to. Um, there's been a lot of really good uh, professor of mine at, uh, at um, Actually, he's a professor of mine at Emory. He, he taught at Cambridge. He was at Cambridge um, also when I was there. I didn't have him, but he came over and was a visiting faculty member at uh, Emory one year, and he was, his name's David Ford, and he writes a lot about improv in the spirit. Yeah. Um, and the, the idea of all of life is a drama, and we are, we are, it's God's drama, we're invited to participate, and it's, you know, when we wake up and realize that we're in the drama is when life really begins to click. Um, mm and talks about grace and stuff, but he talks about kind of life being uh, improvisational, um, which yeah. is fascinating. So um, the yes and of life, like the yes, and let's take it a step further, or yes, yeah. and let's pivot to the new thing, or, you know, that kind of tactic. Um, what about you, man? What's the thing that you wish we could have done a lot more? Yeah, improvisation is a big one. Yeah. I think about it in a musical register sure. a little bit more, right? Like. Um, and that's the way that a lot of my professors at Duke talked about it. It's like kind a jazz, of, like a jazz improv. Like yeah, exactly. Like you're learning the melody, mm -hmm. you get the melody, and then you kind of like carry it away, right? Pulling yep. in all sorts of different references and traditions in your own embodied experience. And, yeah. And that we see that kind of thing happening a lot in the Book of Acts, right? Like mm -hmm. I think of that when, like Peter's first speech in yeah. Yeah. Acts 4, right? Yeah. It's this kind of great jazz improv thing. Um, but that would have been great. The other thing, the other thing, I mean, like, there's a lot. There's a lot. I, I thought going into this that the second half would give us a chance to talk about idols mm. a lot more. Yeah. With Paul going through Ephesus and Athens. And, yeah. Um, idols are something that I think we should, the church should talk about a lot right yeah. now. Right. Um, and I was excited to to kind of think about that and talk about that with the text, but yeah. So there's, I mean, just thinking about like I don't think the church is is very uh, practiced mm. at thinking about idols in mm. a in a strong way, right? Um, We've just got a narrow scope of what idols are. What do you mean by that? Like what? Like yeah, I think so, and the kind of function of them in our lives. Yeah. I think. Um, or like what, yeah, like a kind of narrow scope. Yeah, I'm listening um, to you. Sure. Uh, all right, this something, feels... was, something was, yeah, that was awkward. Something was buzzing and um, Gabby's electric toothbrush was buzzing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it started buzzing and it's driving me bonkers. Sorry to completely <laughs> no, that's okay. derail. Uh, sorry, everyone. Um, but it was... No, that's fine. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I but yeah, I, th I just think, I think... Um, I think the church could use some practice and, and kind of naming actually what idols are, how they're functioning in our world and our life together, what the function of an idol actually is. 
Um, I mean, well, then, I mean, you can't like say, hey, we haven't talked about this. You've got, got some pretty strong ideas about it. So why don't you share? Okay, great. Let's just get give real explicit. Three minute, give, us, give us a three minute version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, for instance, uh, as people continue to get infected and die from this pandemic, mm -hmm. the strong call to reopen the economy. Mm -hmm. for the sake of people's livelihoods constitutes a blood sacrifice to an idol. Mm. Yeah. Um, the idol being the, the economy and being, I mean, being a yeah. dollar, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And that the, and you know, I, I think that all of the religious architecture for the economy exists, right? Like mm -hmm. we have altars to the economy and high priests to the economy and um, right. kind of, uh, you know, all of all of the soothsayers of the economy. In a lot of ways, that's what stock trading is. It's like soothsaying, you know. Right. Um, Never thought of it like that, but yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and I th I think that too often we, you know, like the church has uh, benefited in in some powerful way from its um, coziness mm -hmm. to like what should otherwise be called idols. Mm. Um, and that it, the church has a very unique position as a, in, in the network of, of kind of social relationships to be able to speak clearly and honestly about those realities. Mm. Like nobody else is going to do it. Right. 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 Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that like when there's, when there are moments that like, a politician says, well, like, we're going to just have to basically sacrifice some people right, in order to that. make sure that things are okay. That's when the church steps up and says, like, nope, that's not. Right. We rebuke that. <laughs> like, right. That's not. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the idols exist, obviously, all around us. I mean, they, uh, we make ourselves idols, um, right? Mm -hmm. okay, obviously. Like there's ways in which we just, we don't examine that. You're right. We don't examine that as a church that often because, and I think people just kind of live their lives thinking that, well, an idol is like literally something that I worship in the same way that I'm going to like worship something else on a Sunday morning. And, and right. then maybe that's, maybe that's because of the limited scope of what worship is um, too. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. to ascribe worth to something. Um, right. Kind of the nature of worship. And that's, uh, that's true too. So. But yeah, we could so, spend a lot more time on that, but unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So idols, the other thing that I would have just liked to kind of bring up is the, yeah. we see three couples. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, the couples. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We see Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, then we see, I don't remember the other two names. Um, Felix and his wife are the third. And I don't remember the middle couple. That's so great. There's a couple in the middle. Um and I, w I would have loved to kind of talk about like, oh, this is interesting that we have three emerge throughout the mm -hmm. book mm -hmm. and how they function in the text and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, but we don't, yeah. we don't have even a little bit of time to begin to unpack that. No, we'd be here. We'd be here till 8.30 just on that alone. So, yeah. yeah. So let's, okay. um, <laughs> so let's take a, a quick stab at like what next. So like, what did you, like when you think of, the question what next we read this with that in mind um 
kind of we read it's hard to even imagine where we began with this but when we first started talking about why we were reading this we were reading this because it was a church it was the beginning of the you know we read acts and we read it as like the birth of the church the narratives the origin story of the church how it all began and maybe just maybe as we enter into what feels like a new life because of the yeah. pandemic it was all about the pandemic um, when we first read this uh, or when we first started this um, it felt like we were entering into a new phase and maybe we'd have something to learn from that. Uh, right. A lot has happened in the midst of reading this. A lot of different things have happened that have caused us to really, to have this whole experience of just, it seems like God's kind of putting this book into our lap for a reason. Each and every week we kind of come back to yeah. this text and like, it is very clear that God, at least between Adam and I, and hopefully it is for, for people who are listening as well, God's speaking and bringing that text to us kind of in that moment, um, you know, with George Floyd, it, we got to this just kind of amazing um, text. We got to like the defund the police movement and we start read like Paul kind of in the, in the, the whole prison complex, like kind of shattering right there around him. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it was just kind of an interesting thing, but what, what do you think in light of all that we've said, um, what next, like, how do you answer that question? Having read acts this time around? Yeah. Um, I'm glad that I have an answer for this. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you did too. <laughs> yeah. I, I was really worried that I wouldn't um, yeah. when we started. Um, I think the thing that I've been drawn to is, is where it, on that first week we talked about like, oh, it's interesting that these two guys show up and say like, why are you looking for Jesus where Jesus isn't? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that framed how I think I read the whole book about mm-hmm. like, okay, where is, where is the spirit in, mm-hmm. in this? Like, where is the spirit moving? Mm-hmm. I think what next for the church is like really learning the gestures of God in the world, mm-hmm. really being attentive to the movements of God and where, where those movements are drawing us to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we start to really learn some of the gestures and kind of dance moves of the spirit in the world mm-hmm. in the book of Acts, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we, we need to like be really attentive and, and unpack those and like believe this book a little bit. About, yeah. uh, this is where we'll find the spirit moving. Yeah. You know, and this is what it looks like when the spirit does move. And so we've got to you know, like kind of confront that, Agrippa moment of like, oh, are we going to buy into this? <laughs> like, right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my answer. What about you? Uh, I mean, it's a similar thing. It's just one of those books that you that you read and you um, you asked an interesting question last week or maybe it was two weeks ago. I can't remember. But like, what does it look like to actually? And you just kind of hinted it right with the Agrippa piece, which is like. What is it look? What would it look like if we believed in the same way that Paul believed and just lived yeah. that were just like completely, fully, a life that professes Jesus as Lord, right? And 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 believes that one hundred percent. And um, and uh, I mean the the that's how the church had to exist at the beginning, right? There right. was no way they would have been squashed. Like, quite frankly, I, I want to be like, I, I hate to say this about the church right now, but like, 
if the if the church back then had been um, had had like the hesitancy that sometimes we see the church having in, in confronting some things now, yeah, if they had had that level of hesitancy back then. Christianity we wouldn't, wouldn't be reading this. We wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be reading this book, right? Like there, there would it would just wouldn't have happened, right? I mean, there was a level of boldness. The last line, I don't even remember. I just remember loving the last couple of words um, in Acts, which is. Um, but they're talking about Paul. He says he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. And it yeah. was this level of like, with all boldness. I mean, that is like what we're called to, with all boldness. Yeah. And I think without hindrance, that's where the spirit gets involved. And it's like, if you live a life that's with all boldness, the spirit will handle the rest. I mean, there's yeah. just this reality to that. Like, cause we're going to run into obstacles. If we think right now I need to chart the course that has the least amount of right. obstacles in order to respond to whatever right. thing. I mean, there's a level of just, you got to lean into the, with all boldness piece here. The church had to then and the church has to now. Um, yeah. And I just think that that's where we are. And so for me, like if I had to say what next, not positive, but with all boldness, like, sure. you, know, uh, you know, and I think that's the right answer. Yeah. It might be a cop out of an answer, but it's just the reality of like, um, I just know what I have to answer, what I have to, you know, kind of talk about and how I should act each and every day, which is, yeah. That. Yeah. And to that, I think that there are churches and groups of the church that have always had to act with all boldness. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that maybe we could learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, I think of the history of the black church in particular. Yeah. Right. Especially in the South mm -hmm. that was confronted with narratives and sermons and uses of scripture and political realities, economic realities that were constantly trying to convince them that they uh, didn't deserve to exist. Right. Yeah. And the black church serving as a space that is like a radical witness against that. Yeah. You know, yeah. And a absolute refusal to, to believe that or let that narrative function or have life in those spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, and it's, yeah. And it's just, it's, um, if you haven't been to a, um, a, um, I mean, if you haven't been to a, a like a, a black prayer service or a, maybe a black funeral or what, I mean, there's just a level of, of, um, that's boldness to me. That's just like a level of, um, I mean, if you look at the history of, uh, uh, yeah, of, of black persons throughout the country, obviously like, uh, the worst history you can imagine. Um, there's a level of just, I got nothing else but get Jesus, right? And that's the boldness that Paul has, yeah. I think, that the black church has replicated and carried that tradition. Um, unfortunately, for the reasons for which they had to carry that tradition, right? Um, right. But like, there's a level of just boldness in that in, in that community, um, in the black community that I just uh, admire, and that that's just a they they. They live out the church in a way that I'm not sure that um, the white church does necessarily right now, right? Um, so, um, so that brings us to the to the, my question. You know, was the concept of like, I want to be really honest with the people who are listening and the folks that are listening now, the folks who are listening later. Um, when Adam and I were talking about who, uh, how we were going to read this book, 
and who we were going to bring into conversation uh, as our thought partners, the people, meaning the people who we were going to read on the outside of this, you know, I had a little bit more, um, I had a, honestly a little bit of hesitancy about um, who we might bring in because Adam had given me the book by Jennings last year and I had read the first like six or seven chapters. Again, I told you I'm not, I'm not, was not a huge fan of the second half of Acts. I just thought it was a little bit boring. So I thought it was time. So I really only got to about my favorite part um, in Acts and, uh, and I read Jennings and I thought it was amazing. Um, and then, so when Adam talks about bringing in Jennings for this, I was a little bit hesitant and, um, in light of all that's happening, it's just been amazing to have Jennings as a thought partner in this. And again, we've told you this before, but Jennings is a, um, a black theologian that is out of Yale. He was at Duke at the time that Adam was there. Uh, and he has moved on to Yale. Absolutely brilliant human being, but his theology, like a lot of black theology is unfortunately frowned upon by a lot of academia, if we're being honest, um, and is oftentimes too radical for main mainline Protestant denominations like the United Methodist Church, like the Southern Baptist Convention, like the Presbyterian Church, like the Episcopal Church, not often preached on because it is a way of reading scripture that kind of shatters our assumption about what scripture is and, and, and what scripture does um, and how the spirit works in scripture. Um, so I was a little bit hesitant to do that, to, to read that. And so I'm, I, you know, so we thought, well, maybe we'll just bring in Jennings. We won't tell anyone that he's a, a, a black theologian. We won't tell anyone that he's got a little bit of kind of a liberation tendencies um, in some of his thinking. Um, and we dropped it in and the feedback has been incredibly positive to what we've done so far in, in this Bible study, particularly around, some of the things that we've had that have originated in the thinking of Jennings, uh, Jennings interpretation of, of acts. Um, and so I just want to be honest with you. Like that's, that was a little, that's been super revealing to me is to like introduce a person that the world probably views as controversial or a lot of the theologians that you and I, uh, Adam have learned, have been, were, were kind of educated in um, that maybe Jennings just, pushes back against, but it's been super illuminating. I just want to hear what your thinking is on Jennings. I mean, you, you know, Jennings. So like what, a little, tell me a little bit more about your thinking on bringing him in um, and how that process has felt for you. For me, my introduction to Jennings was as like, I'm really lucky to have had uh, PhD students who mentored me because they knew I wanted to go on to do PhD work. Mm -hmm. um, who said, like, if you're going to take this work seriously, you need to take courses with Jennings. Mm -hmm. Because I had gone to Duke planning to work with a totally different kind of set of professors. Mm -hmm. um, Stanley Harawas and some other folks. Sure. Um, and that, those are really who brought me there. And most of my classmates who were taking a serious academic route. So we all started taking Jennings because, you know, like word spread, like, oh, everybody's talking about Jennings. We got to we got to take him. And at the time he had just released his book, Christian Imagination. Yeah. So we, it didn't have a chance to circulate through the student body just yet. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, he, he was the one who guided me into my formal theological education. Mm -hmm. So I saw how he handled not only scripture, but 
theologians, how he read theology. Right. Yeah. Um, and his sensibilities absolutely shaped what I came to understand theology's work to be and to do. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit difficult for me to remove it from that context because sure. like, and I, I read Jennings and I understand who he's arguing against and, and who he's pushing up against and how he's navigating those things. Yeah. But I also see how he's really like doing that active improvisation and, and taking things out of theologians hands and doing totally new things with them. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, for I, it was just very clear to me, Jennings was one of the few professors I had also who really made me want to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was always my introdu- my, my, you know, time with him was always like, not, oh, this is just black theology for black people, right. but like, this is something that will help me understand my faith and myself a lot better. Yeah. And that he's asking me crucial questions that have kept me from a life of faith and a life of like fully living into this mm-hmm. that I've always been, I've either one never heard mm-hmm. or two been too dismissive of too quickly. Mm. Um, so yeah. And it, like, it, it's a troubling thing for a lot of students. We used to, there were a lot of jokes about it at Duke that like, it was a troubling thing to go through his courses Yeah, because you would think you had it, you know, like at the end of a course you were like, all right, I got it. I'm safe now. I'm a good theologian now. And then you go, you'd take another course that he taught and be like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you would just feel like your identity crumbled and shattered over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. But that's the thing is the shatter, like for Jennings and in in the book of Acts, we see this, it's the kind of shattering. Yeah. And the, the spirit picking up those shards again and piecing together something new. Right. The heart of their theology of his theology. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And that that breaking open, right? Yeah, and that that's what the life of the disciple is, is that constant breaking open and like trusting that Jesus is gonna pick up the pieces and do something beautiful with it. But yeah. So yeah, um for me Jennings is like always I have a few kind of like go to if I'm ever preaching or teaching or thinking about something, I have like eight theologians that I try and see if they've said anything about it. Yeah. Jennings is on the top of that list every time. Yeah. It's something that I think that the, the, um, a lot of the, uh, perhaps this may not be fully true, but for my narrow scope of the church, like what I see on a regular basis, um, and who I hear and who I, what other preachers I listen to very rarely is our, our, our black theologians included when we're like quoting people, um, in sermons. Right. Right. Rarely is, um, Willie Jennings, and I've used him a couple times in his sermons before. I mean, it's not like yeah. they're completely void. And I wouldn't, I mean, I have no doubt that Carl's used him before at some point. Uh, but it's it's a tendency to lean more towards, um, towards like white. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Right, you know. Bonhoeffer the Bart, right? Like the kind of the standard, um, you know, you think of Barbara Brown Taylor. I mean, I use Barbara Brown Taylor. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like rebuking Barbara Brown Taylor at all. Like I will, will not do that. But I am... <laughs> um, or dismissing her in the least bit, but I, but I do think, especially in light of all that's happened in the world, uh, and we talk about listening to other voices in the past few weeks, and we talk about the need, and you've, you've read reading lists of what, who we should be reading, um, and a lot of that is for like pop culture reasons, but I think that's true for the church as well. It's time for the church to take very seriously, it was long past time for the church to take oh, yeah. seriously, 
the voice of black theologians. Um, not, not just for the sake of like reading how black people read black theologians, but for realizing that black theologians are saying something to a non-black church as much as much as they're saying to a black church that, um, that we might not uh, connect with immediately and like kind of get all of the references in the most immediate moment. But Jennings sure did open it up and welcome all people into his writing in a way that is super illuminating. And I just think it's important. And so I hope that the folks who are listening along know that like, while I hope that this process has been enlightening for reading Acts, I also hope it has been super helpful in understanding the influence and the importance of um, what has been historically called black theology, but that really is just theology written by a black person for all people. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's kind of both. Um, I'm not trying to discredit uh, the claim of black theology in the least bit, but yeah. there's a lot to learn that the whole church has, has to learn from them. So, right. yeah. Anyways, just wanted to bring that up. So we, um, we only have about 15 minutes left. Of course we went over. Um, so I am, uh, going to wrap it up here for the video. For those of folks who are listening, we're really glad that you um, hopped on and that you took this journey with us. Um, if you want to l- read Jenny's book, you're more than welcome to order it. It's called Acts, uh, appropriately. Um, and it's by Willie James Jennings. Um, it's under the Belief a Theological Commentary on the Bible Bible Commentary series. You can probably find it on Amazon, but encourage you to read it. It's super approachable. One of the easier Feel free to email me about it. Yeah, you can email uh, you can email Adam about it. You can email either of us. I just ordered it uh, uh, at the beginning of this series to have it as a companion, but super helpful. So thanks for joining us. We're going to cut off the video, but we're also going to allow time for people to hop on um, who want to. So That's it. That was the final one. Thank you for everyone who participated and listened and sent us emails and questions. It was a... Uh, really nice opportunity for us we may be doing things like this in the future so keep an eye out thanks again